My name is Justin Leach. I am the Director of College and Discipleship here at Center Church. Uh, so what that means is I spend a lot of times playing basketball over at UVA and uh, talking with people about Jesus, whether they're not followers of Christ yet, investigating who he is, or uh, they are following Jesus and just helping people grow in their faith and learn how to follow Jesus in all of life. If you're a guest with us this morning, I just want to extend, as Pastor Josh did earlier, a special welcome to you. Uh, we love when people gather with us, with our Center Church family, to worship God together and to visit with us as we are celebrating what Jesus has done every week. So thanks for joining us. We, in fact, we'd like to meet with you after this week is up. Uh, if you, there's a first-time guest tent outside, give us your information there. Uh, somebody might ask you to coffee. In fact, two or three people might ask you to coffee because we try to be intentional welcoming people here. So don't be freaked out. Uh, we're happier here and want to get to know you, meet you where you are, and help you take your next steps in uh, following Jesus. This season, as a church, we have been walking through the book of Acts. We just started this uh, pretty recently, in the last few weeks, so we're just in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the passage that was just read by Jason, you can flip there as we're getting started, because that's where we'll be today. Uh, but I'm very excited that we are in the book of Acts during this season as a church, because Acts is all about the birth of the church, and then the expansion and growth of the church all throughout the Roman Empire. And if you didn't know, we are a recent church plant. In fact, we might have tricked you in some ways. We might not have tricked you in other ways. But we've only been meeting together as a church since January of this year. So we're just getting started. So there are many things from the book of Acts that apply pretty directly to the season of life that our church is in, just getting started. So it's so beneficial that we're walking through Acts. In the passage that we're going to read today, the main character, I guess arguably the main character, but who I think is the main character, is going to come onto the scene in the book of Acts. And that main character is the Holy Spirit, all right, the Holy Spirit. Some commentators even say that the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but the Holy Spirit is such a main character and consistent presence throughout the book that this book might as well be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, as you heard uh, Jason read our passage already, uh, we are going to come across the day of Pentecost here, and that word uh, may create in you many different feelings or expectations. Um, despite what you may have heard from the word Pentecost or what you may have experienced in the past, the point of this passage is not primarily about speaking in tongues, it's not primarily about emotional or expressive worship. All right, Pentecost has a ton of different um, ways. You may have had a great experience with a Pentecostal church in the past. You may have looked at Pentecostal churches from a distance and been confused. That is not primarily what this passage is about. No comment on Pentecostal churches. They are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are doing great things. But this is not what this passage is about, so we don't want to be distracted by that. What this passage is about is Luke recording for us the day of Pentecost. And what the primary point of this passage is going to be is the Holy Spirit fills the church, right? The Holy Spirit fills the church so that people from all nations may know and glorify God, all right? The Holy Spirit is going to come and fill the church for the first time here so that all nations, so that people from all nations might know and glorify God. When we look at this passage today, we are going to get to learn some about what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit and how the filling of the Holy Spirit of each of us individually and the filling of the Holy Spirit of the church leads us and empowers us to take the gospel to all nations. Uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit for an individual or a church? How does one become filled with the Spirit? These are some questions that by looking at the first coming of the Spirit to the church, we will be able to apply to our lives uh, today. So before we get jumped in, or before we jump into this passage, I want to give you a couple clarifications about some language that I'll be using throughout the morning. All right, first clarification. There are two distinct ways that the New Testament talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are there two distinct ways that the New Testament talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Upon initially believing in Jesus and being born again by faith in Christ, every person who does that, who is born again, is filled with the Spirit. The Spirit seals us, and there is no way we can escape from that. We are um, filled with the Spirit, and we have the Spirit for good. We're safe. We are sealed and filled with the Spirit. But there's a second way that the New Testament talks about being filled with the Spirit, and that is that sometimes people who already believe and are already filled with the Spirit are described again to be filled with the Spirit. And this is discussing in a way uh, that there is a unique, powerful manifestation of heightened realities of what the Spirit normally does in everyone who is filled with the Spirit. 
Okay, so this passage, I'm going to be talking about filled with the Spirit. Both of those uh, ways that the Holy Spirit is expressed in the New Testament are true. When we are initially filled with the Spirit, we have the Spirit, but then there are different times when we're filled with the Spirit in a way that there are heightened realities of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So that's one clarification. Both of those are true. The second clarification is that there is no real distinction between the church being filled with the Holy Spirit and between each individual believer in the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I may mix my language, just be patient with me. Sometimes I'll say the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'll say you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But the church is filled with the Holy Spirit in that each individual believer is is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the church comes together and each individual is filled with the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ, the church is corporately together filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So those two are one and the same. So as I'm saying the church is filled with the Spirit or an individual or you are filled with the Spirit, they are uh, similar. Um, How the Spirit shows up in this passage is, again, going to teach us very much of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and walk out our Christian lives in faithfulness. Uh, So before we jump into the passage today of Pentecost, I just want to catch us up real quick on the story so we know where we have come from and, and what today is bringing us. So in the beginning of the book of Acts... Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples, right? Acts 1.8, we saw that. Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So although the Holy Spirit has not come yet, we already have Jesus pointing to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming and is going to be the power to accomplish the task that Jesus gives to the church. And then in Acts 1, 4 and 5, there's a similar idea. The, the disciples are not supposed to go and uh, strive to accomplish the task that Jesus gave them. Instead, they're supposed to wait for this power of the Holy Spirit that is coming that we're going to see today. Acts 1, 4 and 5. And while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jeru- Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As the disciples go out to accomplish this task that Jesus gave them of evangelizing the world, of bringing the hope of Jesus Christ to the world, they were not to be the ones glorified who through their own strategy and strength took the gospel to the nations, but God was going to receive glory because the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that empowers the weak and cowardly disciples to take the gospel to the nations. So while they were here and now, they are supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. If you look through the timeline of what's going on, for 10 days, 10 whole days after Jesus ascends to heaven and leaves them with those commands until the pouring out of the Spirit, there is 10 days of radio silence. The disciples, 120 of them with the apostles, are gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. They had Jesus with them for three years every day doing signs and wonders and miracles and telling them stuff that they thought no one knew about themselves, having the presence of God with them in Jesus. And for 10 days, they waited for this promise from God. Radio silence. It was not there. They're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. But then we come to Acts 2, 1 through 4. And I'll read these verses again. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right? This is it. For 10 days of radio silence, they may, may have been wondering, did the Holy Spirit come? Like, we cast lots and picked an apostle. What should we be expecting? But then, as we read this passage, we see without a shadow of the doubt, that God is bringing the promise, the promise that Jesus told them to wait for, sending the Holy Spirit to them in this passage. So what we are going to look at today, what we are going to look at today is five realities that we experience when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, In the way that the Holy Spirit comes here, in the way that the apostles and the disciples respond when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are going to learn five realities for us of when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, the first reality, we'll jump right in. The first reality is this. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you experience the power of the presence of God. All right, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you experience the power of the presence of God. I see this in verse 2, and this is what it says. Suddenly, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty 
rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were, where they were sitting. It is so important that we know that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is free and sovereign. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is completely and utterly untied to our whims and desires. We are actually at his service. All right, where do I see this? Free and, so- and sovereign. The way that this passage describes 10 days of silence and suddenly, right? Suddenly, the Holy Spirit comes. He wasn't contrived to come. Nobody convinced him to come. He didn't come to any of the disciples or apostles' schedule, but suddenly, he come. He is free. The Holy Spirit is free. Not at our beck and call. In fact, we are at his. The Holy Spirit is free. Also, the Holy Spirit came and filled the house where they were in with a sound like a mighty rushing wind, right? The Holy Spirit came in this way to communicate his power, his sovereignty, his ability, complete ability to accomplish whatever he pleases. The Holy Spirit is God, and we have to know this. The Holy Spirit is free and sovereign. My, uh, my in-laws are actually in town this weekend. They're over here <laughs> visiting. And uh, as they, I was, uh, we were talking about a hurricane that came through Wilmington where uh, they live, and they had some neighbors that while their hurricane was there, a water spout came off the water and came close to their house, uprooted and knocked down some trees. And uh, my mother-in-law was describing their description of what this water spout meant for them, right? She was describing it, and this is a secondhand story of it seemed like the windows were sucking in and about to burst and everything's shaking and it's incredibly noisy, right? There's this incredible, immense power by this wind, noise, suction, fear, right? That is how the spirit decided to come. Like a water spout from a hurricane tearing through the backyard, the Holy Spirit decided to communicate something to us about God by coming in this way, right? The Holy Spirit is free and sovereign, powerful. For those 10 days of radio silence, the disciples knew God was with them, right? They, they knew Jesus promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If you ask Peter, hey, what is, uh, is Jesus with you? Is God with you? You'd say, yeah, of course God's with me. He told me he was with me. He'd stay with me. But when the Holy Spirit comes and fills a house with a mighty rushing wind, the disciples in a whole new way can say, God is with me, right? God is with me. The Holy Spirit came in a way that the disciples were filled with the Spirit and they experienced the power of the presence of God. This isn't the only place in the Bible that the Bible uh, teaches that this is what the Holy Spirit does. In Romans 8.16, it says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? The role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we have the presence of God, that we are his, that God loves us, and that is an action that when we're filled with the Spirit, we'll know that we're children of God. In this passage, we also get to see this impact of them knowing that they're in the presence of God, particularly in the narrative surrounding Pentecost. We see in Peter's life what knowing, moving from just like intellectually knowing to knowing the power of the presence of God does in his life. Right before Pentecost, if you remember the story, Peter actually denies Jesus three times. And he says, I don't know that guy. Jesus is being uh, betrayed and crucified and put on the cross. At Pentecost, Peter is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He experiences the power of the presence of God, and it uh, reframes his perspective on life. And after Pentecost, Peter is going to publicly preach the gospel in front of a lot of antagonistic people, He is going to face persecution with faithfulness, never denying Jesus again. He is going to be imprisoned and beaten many different times, and he remains faithful. What happened? What happened at Pentecost was that he moved from intellectually having the idea that God was with him to experiencing the power of the presence of God that the Holy Spirit unleashed in his life. Peter was then able to say from his gut, not just from his mind, that Jesus is more precious Right? Peter was then able to say from his gut and not just from his mind that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I can go with boldness and confidence and courage because I have experienced the power of the presence of God because the Holy Spirit has filled my life. We today have that same Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you experience the power of the presence of God. That leads us to a question. Do you know that God is with you? Do you know, not just intellectually, but in your gut, that God really is in you, that God is with you, that God is for you? A few signs uh, that you might not uh, 
at the gut level be living out the truth that God is with you. Uh, maybe at times uh, you know the right thing to do, but because of the people around you and because of the scorn that you might face, if you do that right thing, you don't do it, right? God might not be in your gut with you. Maybe you join in on the crude joking at work or with classmates or friends to fit in because you desire their approval more than having the deep confidence that God is with you. Maybe you spend money for status or for fun because you're not filled with the awareness that God is with you that captivates you. Do you give attention to people who will benefit you socially or advance your career but ignore ones that cost you? Right? Is the cry of your heart with Peter after being filled with the power of the presence of God, is the cry of your heart that Jesus is more precious? Is the cry of your heart that to live is Christ and to die is, is gain? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, this is a reality that you will have. You will experience the power of the presence of God and it will move from an intellectual head knowledge of God's presence to a gut confidence deep level of God's presence. But what, how does this uh, Holy Spirit filling us with this reality, this reality advance us to the nations, right? Because the point of this passage, as we'll see, is going to be that the Holy Spirit fills the church so that the nations, people from all nations, might know and glorify God. And that is because, as we see in the life of Peter, some of the examples brought up, that when we experience the power of the presence of God, we are filled with courage to have boldness and to take risk to advance the message of the gospel, whatever the cost. Right? The Holy Spirit, for the sake of the gospel among the nations and the sake of God's glory, fills the church with the power of the presence of God, fills each of us with the power of the presence of God that we might take that gospel to the nations in boldness and with risk. Have you experienced the power of the presence of God? Have you experienced that? I remember, I remember clear as day when I first experienced that power of the presence of God and the mighty rushing wind filled the room for me. In fact, I was working an internship my sophomore year, after my sophomore year of college, Incredibly boring, long story. But uh, during that time, I started listening to a ton of sermons because I didn't have anything to do at work. I was becoming very interested in real living faith with Jesus. And after work one day, I, had, I was just ashamed and broken over my hidden sin that I had kind of been lying about for a long time. I remember going to my old beat-up 98 Toyota Corolla, calling up my buddy from high school and just crying to him and confessing my sin and telling him that I was so embarrassed and ashamed and guilty but I was so free because for the first time, this idea of God's love for me was awakened in my heart and my soul. And from that day on, my life changed. I didn't walk in perfection, in fact, far from it. But the direction of my life was completely transformed. I don't remember what sermon it was or what verse it was, but something that day, I went back out to my car, called my friend, I said, I just can't do this anymore. This is my broken life. This is me. I'm ready to experience the love that Jesus has for me and bring everything into the light. When were you? Where were you when you experienced the power of the presence of God for the first time and your life was changed? Right? Have you experienced the power of the presence of God? Um, this leads us directly in, kind of my story leads us into the second reality of being filled with the Spirit. All right? The second reality of being filled with the Spirit is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are refined in holiness. All right? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are refined in holiness. This is the second reality. After the room was suddenly filled with the sound of mighty rushing wind, verse 3 continues on, and I'll read that for us now. After the rushing wind comes in, fills the house they're sitting, verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And divided tongues as of fire. Um, the Holy Spirit filled the disciples. Uh, let's see. Okay. Why did the Holy Spirit come in this way? All right, the Holy Spirit, after the mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire come and descend. Why did the Holy Spirit come in this way? Why did Luke record this? What's going on here? All right, tongues of fire. In the Bible, all throughout, start to finish, tongues represents God's presence and God's purity. All right, fire always represents God's presence and God's purity. Right, God's presence, God is here. And God's purity, God is utterly holy in perfection and distinct from anything that we could offer him. All right, we see this all throughout the Bible. An example is in Exodus 3, right, the burning bush. So Moses comes walking through the field, and there's a bush on fire, but it's not getting consumed. And a voice cries out from it, and it's God. He says, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals, right? God is present in the fire, and he is holy. Take off your sandals. 
Uh, We see it also in Exodus 19, Mount Sinai. God is giving the law and the mountain is covered in fire and thunder and lightning and smoke. God is there giving the law and he is pure. No one can approach it or they will die. And in Leviticus 6, we see that there's supposed to be a perpetual fire in the temple that the Jewish people had because the temple was where God manifested his presence to his people. There's a perpetual fire in the temple. The fire, fire in the Bible represents God's purity and God's presence. But fire also represents one more key thing, right? God is not just pure, but he is purifying, all right? God is not just pure, but he purifies that which he comes in contact with, okay? It's like a, a metal is refined is an illustration that the Bible uses. When a metal has some impurities in it, one way that you can remove the impurities and, become, and have a more pure form of the metal is to melt the metal down. And because of the d- different... Uh, melting points and temperatures of different metals, you can uh, melt part of it, remove impurities, and then uh, re-solidify the metal with the impurities removed, right? The refining, you pass a metal through a fire, and through that process, take out impurities and have a more pure uh, version of the metal that you once had. In the same way, that is like the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, right? When you are filled with the Spirit, you will be refined. You are refined in holiness. And we see this very clearly throughout the New Testament on the individual level and on the church level. All right, just in a few chapters in Acts 5, we're going to come to a very uncomfortable and challenging story where a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira lie to the church and to the Holy Spirit, and God strikes them dead just like that on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit, right? That is an example of the Holy Spirit purifying the church from the impurities that are in them. Right, come back for more explanation about that in a few weeks. Uh, but also, John 15, Jesus says, you're the, you're the uh, branches, I'm the vine, and anyone who abides fruit, the Father will prune, right? will purify, will, will change, and will grow, and will cut, and it'll hurt. But it's that you might bear more fruit. Right? The Holy Spirit purifies those who he fills. Also in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, uh, the author reminds us that being disciplined by God our Father is good news. Right, being purified by the Holy Spirit, although it's painful in the moment, will yield in us a righteousness that is growing us up into the eternal life that we have coming for us. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will be refined as a church and as individuals. So the tongues of fire is representing this purity, this presence, and the purifying nature of the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire descended, not just generally, but on each one of them. So what's happening here, and Tim Keller says it in his succinct and very helpful way, what he's saying here is that at Pentecost, we are seeing that every believer is a burning bush. All right, every believer is a burning bush. This is amazing because the apostles are present, but each one receives the Holy Spirit. Or there are 12 people commissioned by Jesus to take the message of the gospel all over the world, but each one of them receives this tongue descending on them of fire that fills them with the Spirit. This is incredible news. When you encounter people, all right, this is going to be a challenging question. When you encounter people, do they encounter a burning bush, right? You have the Holy Spirit of God if you are trusting in Jesus. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are refined in holiness. So when people encounter you, they should encounter the presence and the purity of God. There should be distinctiveness among us. Are you a light? Are you distinct? Are you standing out in a way of love and of mercy and of compassion and of charity? Are you standing out in your workplace, in your classroom, in a way of holiness and distinctness? Do you have different views shaped more by the scriptures and by God's word to us rather than by, more than by what it means to be an American in the 21st century? How does the fact that the Holy Spirit has come on you uh, change you? How are you a burning bush with the presence and the purity of God? The refining nature of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're refined in holiness, also empowers us to take the gospel to the nations, right? That leads us to be salt and light. The Holy Spirit refines us to be distinct. Matthew 5.18 says this, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are refined to grow in holiness. We are changed. We are molded. We have impurities removed from us graciously by our Father and our Holy, the Holy Spirit who's living in us so that people might see our good works and give glory to God who is in heaven, our Father. 
these works which shine a light to the nations, right, to peoples of all nations, that um, these good works that we do as we're refined um, are very helpful and glorify God. Uh, but also, not only good works will glorify God to the nations, but we see in this passage that at times, supernatural works are going to glorify God to the nations. Right? So that's the third reality that we see. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to participate in supernatural works. Right? Not just refined for good works, but you are actually going to participate in supernatural works. We see that in Acts 2.4. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit here filled the disciples and they literally, historically, spoke in unlearned, real-world languages. All right? I was joking around. I said I was going to come up here and say, Bienvenidos uh, Center Church. <laughs> right? That's not the gift of tongues. These people are speaking in languages that they have never learned of true and real languages that exist around the world. A quick aside on tongues because I know the gift of tongues. I know there are probably two kinds of people in here. There are people that say, hey, here's the spiritual gift of tongues. I want to hear everything that we could ever know about the gift of tongues and speaking in tongues, how it applies to my life. There's that person in here. There's also other people that are like, I don't want to go anywhere near that lightning rod and just keep me away from the gift of tongues altogether. So just a quick aside on the gift of tongues. There are two ways that the gift of tongues uh, shows up in uh, the Bible, in the New Testament. The first is the way that we see here. All right, believers speak unlearned languages that another person present naturally knows their native language that they grew up speaking. Uh, this is something that there are reports of on frontier missions as the gospel is being taken into new lands even today in, uh, in our time and it, all around the world. There's a second way, though, that the New Testament um, speaks of the gift of tongues. And that is that believers speak in, again, unlearned languages, but that no one present knows, and that another gifted person is needed to translate for the church. This is something that you might have heard of referred to as a prayer language at different times. Uh, that is discussed in 1 Corinthians 14 and is about as much as I have time to say right now. So if you want to learn more about that second gift of tongues, come back when we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians and we will go through it more in depth when that topic is being talked about. But what we don't want to miss, what we definitely can't miss, is the main point here is not the gift of tongues and how they function in the life of the church, but that God's presence is now available to people from all nations and that you don't have to be a Hebrew, you don't have to be an American to hear the message of the gospel and to believe, but it is available in everyone's tribe, tongue, and language through Jesus Christ at the cross. So, aside on tongues, there's that. What I don't want to say is minimize uh, uh, supernatural events at all. When the Spirit shows up, things happen where people's heads are going to turn. All right, when the Spirit is present, people's heads are going to turn and wonder what is going on. Sometimes that may be miraculous, like everyone breaking out in languages that they've never learned. Sometimes that may be a miraculous and powerful healing that points to the glory of God. But at other times, it is going to be ways that the Spirit is working in us to do things that someone of the world would never do. Right? We don't want to minimize this miracle, uh, but we want to know that the Holy Spirit works in mighty and powerful ways. So a couple of ways that the Holy Spirit may use us to participate in these supernatural works to glorify God and to turn people's heads to Jesus. These are a couple of ways the New Testament talks about. Uh, first, in John 13, the New Testament talks about that the way that the church loves one another will be a confirmation to the lost world of the reality of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Right? The way that the church loves one another, Jesus teaches his disciples, the way that we love one another just as Jesus has loved us will be a confirmation, a miraculous sign and wonder confirming the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross. Right? The way that we love one another is a supernatural work that we can participate in that will make people's heads turn and wonder who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's one. The second one is our hope. In 1 Peter 3, people says, be prepared to give an answer when someone asks for the hope that is in you. Right? The hope that we as Christians have in the midst of difficult, painful, or just um, normal circumstances at times will cause people to turn their heads. Like, why is this hope distinct from a hope that I have? What is going on? When the Spirit fills you, people are going to turn their heads. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will participate in supernatural uh, works. So again, you may speak in tongues, you may heal someone, but 
you may also do things that the Spirit leads you that are just so distinct from the world that people turn their heads. Maybe, maybe when you graduate college or when you're making your next career move or you're making a decision about what to do with your summer, you'll prioritize discipleship to Jesus or getting connected to a healthy local church over what the world says of building a resume, of in, gaining an influential position, or adding an, a couple extra thousand dollars to your salary. Maybe that will turn people's heads as they see that the priority of the church and of Jesus in your life is more powerful even than some extra dollars, right? That'll make people's heads turn. That's a supernatural work. Maybe it means taking a day of Sabbath rest to put away the homework all day, one day a week, when it just seems, according to the world standards, that that is going to hurt the GPA, that is going to put you behind your classmates, and it's going to make you uh, less uh, impressive to get, uh, start working for Deloitte or EY. Right? That's supernatural work. I'm going to trust the Lord's uh, pattern for my life over what I think is going to get me where I want to go. When the Spirit shows up, you'll participate in supernatural works, and people's heads are going to turn. They're going to ask what's going on over there, just like it did when the Holy Spirit first came. The realities that we've covered so far deal a lot with our actions, uh, the inner posture of our hearts. But eventually, like uh, Pastor Josh has taught over the past few weeks, we are called to declare the message of the gospel with words. Now the verses covered so far show how the Spirit came. So the next verses that we're going to turn to in 5 through 11 are going to show what resulted from the Holy Spirit filling the disciples. And this is what happened. They proclaimed a universal message, all right? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, reality number four, you proclaim a universal message. Starting in verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language? People from all of those countries all around the world that are very difficult to say that Jason knocked out of the park are all there. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, right? And all were amazed and perplexed. What we see from these verses 5 through 11, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you proclaim a universal message. The message is universal in scope. In fact, the passage there says every nation under heaven was present, right? And I'd encourage you to take a pause, and you probably might be taking a pause right now. You say, not every nation under heaven is present there. They went through the list, and they're not there. I'd say, yes, you are correct. Um, What is happening there is that every nation is not there literally, but every nation is there representatively. Every nation is there representatively. What do I mean by that? Um, There's this idea when you're studying the Bible big word here. I debated doing this, but it'll be fun. Um, of, of the idea of when you're reading the Bible, talking about uh, looking for intercanonical echoes. Intercanonical echoes, okay? So this idea, this, the idea of intercanonical echoes is that there are things that remind us throughout the Bible that God has placed all throughout his scripture that are pointing to a bigger and larger theme. All right, and what we get here is a very clear picture of that because they say every nation under heaven is there. You read the passage and you say not even some bordering nations of Israel are there, so he couldn't have been trying to say that literally. What's going on? Well, if we look back to Genesis 10 and 11, uh, we're reminded of the story of Noah and the flood. All right, Noah and the flood. So we've got this uh, coming in. Uh, Noah is a righteous man in the midst of a ton of unrighteousness. God's kind of hitting the reset button on the world. The world has descended just to chaos, immorality, wickedness, vileness all the way through. God judges the world, and there are three sons of Noah who survive through the flood with him, and from their line repopulate the world. All right, those sons are Ham, Shem, and Japheth. All right, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And what we see is that in this list, each of those three lines are mentioned. All right, so those three, the only three people on earth coming back, those three lines are distinctly mentioned within this table of nations that is given. So what the author is saying is that every nation is not here literally, but we know that at the flood there was only three men left, and I'm going to to put nations in here that we know are directly tied to their descent. All right, so every nation is not there literally, but it is there representatively. 
Noah and the flood and then his sons repopulated the earth. All right, so the whole world is there. The whole world is he- hearing the preaching of the gospel. Each nation also is not only represented there, but also heard in their native language. All right, they also heard the message of the gospel in their native language. And know here that simple communication of the message that is coming forth is not the point. All right, the communication is not the point because everyone here would have understood Hebrew or Aramaic. In fact, Peter's going to preach this passage that we see next week. He stands up and preaches in one language to all of them, and they all hear. It's presumably in Aramaic, which was spoken in Jerusalem at the time. So we know that the point here is not just that they hear the message because they could have heard it in Hebrew or Aramaic. The point is that the message of the gospel is now not just um, given to the Jewish people. You don't have to become a Jew to become a follower of God. You can hear in any tribe, any tongue, any culture, any language what God has done for the world and believe. Right? You don't have to convert cultures. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You don't have to become an American to become a Christian. You don't have to become highly educated to become a Christian. You have to hear the message of the gospel in your culture and allow the Spirit to come alive in your life through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. The gospel, the point here is that the gospel is available to people of every tribe, culture, language, nation, and ethnicity. Simple communication is not the point, but is, com- is communicating this greater message. You see here, back to the Genesis 11. Pentecost, you see, is the reversal of the consequences of sin at Babel. All right, Pentecost is the reversal of the consequences of sin at Babel. All right, the story of Babel, following Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, they populate the earth again. But rather than being obedient to God, and rather than being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it as God called them to, they came together. And then in pride and arrogance, they stiff-armed God's leadership, and they said they were going to build a tower to heaven, right? And God, in punishment and judgment of their sin and restraining their sin, separated them into peoples and to languages that they might be forced out into what he had called them to do. Trevor Lawrence, a pastor and author, says it like this, At Babel, God judged and restrained rebellion by confusing languages and dividing the people. At Pentecost, God forgives rebellion, using various world languages to bring people together in Jesus. The effects of sin are being undone as the Spirit goes forth with the gospel of God's grace in Christ. Before Pentecost, you had to be a Jew to meet with God. You had to go to the temple, and you actually couldn't meet with God. You had to appease God through another man, the high priest. After Pentecost, anyone, anywhere, could have the Holy Spirit, God's presence, dwell in them by faith in Jesus Christ. No exclusivity. No advantages or disadvantages based on your language or your culture. The Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is era-defining. It is a new way that God is relating with the world, individually, with people. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? Every culture reflects something, although tainted, good about the character of God. But every culture will also be routinely and intensely confronted by the character of God. Right? Every culture reflects something good, although tainted of the character of God, but every culture will be routinely and intensely confronted by God. Um, so if you, uh, maybe as a uh, whatever kind of cultural background you come to, whatever per- political persuasion that you come from, if you think that your uh, background and world culture or institution lines up with God's desire for the world, you are wrong, Right? Every culture, every group, every institution is going to have aspects that glorify God, although tainted and aligned with God. But every institution and every group is going to be needed to regularly be confronted and uh, corrected by God. A spirit-filled church will grow in diversity, right? Because God is a global God that created all the nations. And because God's message is a universal message, right? A spirit-filled church will grow in diversity, ethnic, racial, economic, every element of diversity that we can think of because God is a global God and God's message is a universal message, right? If we do not grow in diversity, we may have to ask some about what message we are proclaiming. If it is only reaching one type of person, one kind of group of the culture around us, 
right, we may need to ask, are we proclaiming a universal message that is appealing and is hope for all kinds of people? That's why at Center Church, we want to increasingly reflect the diversity of our community and consistently proclaim the diversity of the coming kingdom, right? We want to increasingly, as a church, reflect the diversity of the community surrounding us, and we also want to consistently proclaim the diversity of the kingdom that is going to include every tribe, tongue, and nation. When you are filled with the Spirit, you proclaim a universal message. Uh, one more reality in this text that's a bit more subtle to see, uh, but very powerful. Reality five is this. When you are filled with the Spirit, you obey Christ from the heart. All right? When you are filled with the Spirit, you obey Christ from the heart. Where does this come from? Okay, it comes from understanding what Pentecost meant for the Jewish people at this time. So in first century Israel, this holiday of Pentecost for the Jewish people was something they celebrated every year, and it was tied very closely to uh, celebrating and remembering when God gave Moses the law for Israel after they were delivered from Egypt way back in their history. All right, when they were delivered from uh, Egypt and slavery there, they did that on the first Passover. Also, Passover is when Jesus died on the cross, all right? So Egypt, Passover, they're delivered from Egypt. Jesus dies on the cross at Passover. Fifty days after that, Israel had wandered their way through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, all right? And at Mount Sinai, Moses went up on the mountain and received the law from God for the people of Israel as God's gracious and divine self-revelation to them to teach them about who he is and how they might follow him, all right? They celebrated this, because Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover now, it just became a time to remember God's giving of the law. As the New Testament goes on, prophets look forward to what they would call the last days. All right, when God would pour out his spirit, which is something that we saw today, and the law tied closely to that would be written on God's people's hearts. All right, he'd pour out his spirit and write the law on their hearts. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That first Pentecost of Moses receiving the law was just a foretaste of the coming Pentecost that Jesus was going to pour out in the Spirit. Right? Both are a gift of God's gracious self-revelation. In the law-giving God was giving the Israelites the law that they might restrain sin and survive and grow and flourish. He also was giving them the law because it revealed aspects of his character to them. Um, But it was just a sign, just a small taste of the glory that was going to be revealed at this Pentecost. Right? Rather than Moses, one man from one nation meeting with God for us on the mountain, the curtain was torn at the cross and each of us can commune with God and have the presence of God dwell in us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Rather than the law etched on stone that we look at outside of us and seek to obey, the law by the Holy Spirit is written on our hearts. Right? Rather than a priest interceding for us time and again as we fail, Jesus gave himself up at the cross once and for all for the forgiveness of our sins so we can know without a doubt that it will be never be changing that we are God's children. What we didn't need was a new set of rules and a deeper understanding of the law. What we needed was to become a new creation with a new heart that could worship God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Holy Spirit brings and regenerates and renews. We're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right, this is what we need primarily. We need the law written on our hearts. I like to think about it like my love of lima beans and my love of steak. All right, love of lima beans and my love of a bacon-wrapped filet mignon. All right, if you give me a bowl of lima beans, I hate it. I can't stand it. They're mushy. If we have any lima bean lovers in here, I'm sorry. All right, but I cannot stand lima beans. No matter what you do, I cannot love lima beans. I cannot love them. I might be able, if you stick a gun to my head, I might be able to convince you that I love them and kind of eat it. Oh, yeah, I love these lima beans. But I cannot actually love lima beans, right? It is outside of me. It is uh, etched in stone. There's nothing that I can do. I need to, there's nothing to do with it. But if you put a steak in front of me, bacon wrap, filet mignon, you don't need to give me any kind of directions to go and eat that and love it and enjoy it because it's just who I am, right? This is our relationship to the law of God, 
right before. It's, a, it's outside of us. It's opposed to us. We don't want to obey God. We want to go our own way. What we need is new spiritual taste buds that are completely transformed and renew. And this is what the Holy Spirit does when it is poured out in us. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have new spiritual taste buds. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you obey Christ from the heart in response to the love that Jesus has given to you at the cross and trust and worship of him. Are you a new creation in the Holy Spirit? Right? Do you love God's law? Do you obey Christ from the heart? 1 John 5, 4 says, This is the love of God, that we obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Right? When we see that Jesus gave himself for us on the cross, we say, I trust you more than I trust myself. So even if your commandments don't make sense all the time and they're uh, maybe confusing at times, I'm going to follow them because you are more trustworthy than my mind is. Right? This is the love of God. We obey his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome because we trust the giver of those commands, because the commands are written on our hearts, because our spirit is renewed and made alive, because we're given new spiritual taste buds by the Holy Spirit. Are you a new creation in the Holy Spirit? Are you joyfully obsessed with the message of the gospel? Have you made the move in relating to Jesus from how much must I do in order to check off the Christian box or feel good about what I'm doing towards Jesus, it's all yours. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Have you stopped doing the bare minimum of what it means to be a Christian, of flirting with the lines that Christianity, you think, puts here and there, and just said, Jesus, I'm yours. In light of the gospel, I'm yours. You've loved me. You've given yourself for me. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you are going to obey Christ from the heart, out of worship and joy and thanks. So the Holy Spirit fills the church so that people from all nations might know and glorify God. Right? These different ways that we're filled with the Spirit all contribute towards moving us towards that. Uh, when the church, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will experience the power of the presence of God. You'll be refined in holiness. You're going to participate in supernatural works. You're going to proclaim a universal message. You're going to obey God from the heart. Right? These incredible gifts the Holy Spirit gives us. But where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? One uh, more element of Pentecost that you should know is that Pentecost was celebrated as the harvest festival, right? The giving of the law is one aspect they celebrated, uh, but it's known as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of First Fruits, and they're celebrating the first fruits of their harvest. Every year, they celebrate the first fruits of their harvest, praise God, and give thanks for it. It is no accident that the Holy Spirit poured himself out on the church during the Feast of the Harvest, what the Holy Spirit is communicating through all these different languages, through coming at the Feast of the Harvest, is that there is a new age. God is inaugurating a new age, a new era of evangelistic fruit, of harvesting souls from every tribe, tongue, and language to eternal life. When Peter gets up after this occurrence, which we'll see in the later weeks, uh, when he gets up and preaches the gospel for the first time in this new age that the Holy Spirit has now inaugurated, 3,000 people come to faith in one sermon. Right? There is a new era of evangelistic fruit, of harvesting souls to eternal life that the Holy Spirit is bringing in. And you, you stand in one of two places this morning, just like they did at Pentecost. If you read verse 13, the crowds respond in one of two ways. Some in faith are amazed, and they say, what does this mean? Others, mocking and unbelief, say they must be drunk. There's some kind of naturalistic explanation to what's going on here. So I want to leave you with a couple questions. First, for those of you who have been following Jesus or have grown up in the church, this is my question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you had true saving faith? All right, this is a scary question. Maybe a dangerous question sometimes, but an important question. Have you known Jesus? Have you repented of your own good works and trusted in what Christ has done at the cross for your salvation? Right, we are in a new era of this evangelistic fruit. Many of us, though, have grown up in a Christian culture. And my biggest concern is that you've grown up around Christianity, but you've never known Christ. So these realities that I talked through today are realities. 
for every follower of Jesus Christ. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, these things will come. They may wax and wane. They may come in different measure. But if you're sitting here today and said, I've grown up in church, I'm good, but I've never experienced anything like those five realities, I would say, I want to have a conversation with you about what true faith in Christ is and what it looks like. I want to pray for you that you might know the realities of the Holy Spirit being poured out in your life and a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I just concerned that there are some people in here who may have grown up around the church but never had these realities awakened in their life because you may never have met Jesus. So I'd love to talk with you about that. Believers, you have these realities, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you trust him and have been born again, these realities are true in some way for you. Be filled with the Spirit, right? You're filled with the Spirit in the first sense. Be filled with the Spirit in the second sense. Do that by yielding to Jesus. Do that by saying yes to him. You do that by putting your head under the faucet in obedience, even if God and the Holy Spirit are the only ones that can turn it on. We yield to Jesus and put ourselves in that position to be filled with a deeper awareness and knowledge of those things. Ask him in prayer. In yielding to the Spirit and praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll find deep joy in God's presence. You're going to find an incredible power to advance God's kingdom, right? And who's your one? Right? Is there a way that you have been quenching the Holy Spirit and stiff-arming his working in your life out of fear of man? Is there a way that you can walk in trusting him and seeing how good he is and asking him to fill you and give you power? If you're not a follower of Jesus, all of this is available to you. The benefits and the joys and the privileges of knowing God, they are available to you. There's nothing that you can do to earn them. We are in the era and the age of the Holy Spirit harvesting souls for eternal life. You can turn to Jesus now. Jesus loves you. He gave himself at the cross for you. He is trustworthy and he is good. And if you're investigating following Jesus, I would love to talk with you. Also, we would love to talk with you. As we close, just uh, take a moment. You can bow your heads. I just want to ask you some questions and lead you through listening to the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit might be leading you to do from this morning. What is the Holy Spirit leading you to walk away from this morning? Ask him. Voice a prayer under your breath to him. Is he asking you? Is he leading you to put your trust in Jesus for the very first time? Is he leading you to have a conversation with someone about what true, living, joyful faith looks like? Maybe he's leading you to take a step of participating and taking the gospel to the nations by speaking with your neighbor, by supporting a missionary, by committing to pray for unreached people groups around the world, by taking a step and moving towards moving overseas by having a conversation with someone as the Spirit has been leading you to consider becoming a missionary. Maybe it is something else entirely from this sermon or from a scripture that you read this week. Just take a moment and ask the Spirit to show you, to tell you what your next step is. Take a few moments to listen to God. And the band is going to lead us to sing after a few moments of prayer and reflection.